This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Well, Dave and I are back after a three-month sabbatical, and we're excited to record again. Ironically, we're doing this by phone. Given the current restrictions to self-isolate, we're trying to honor the shelter-in-place practices. And so uh, this might sound uh, a little bit rough or a little bit tinny, but uh, hey, bear with us. At least we can uh, uh, yak for a little bit about, uh, about our topic. We'll tell you what that is in just a moment. Uh, we're really curious, aren't we, Dave, how this episode is going to sound a year from now when we expect this historic moment has passed. Yes, I will be interested in listening to this and see how we sound. Yeah, I know, exactly. Well, fly fishing is not separated from life. Fly fishing happens within the context of life, including times of great success and opportunities and times of difficulty and hardship. And there are all kinds of hardships. Good night. Uh, not only the current crisis, but it could be the loss of a spouse through death or divorce or uh, the disappointment with. Uh, children or death of children, uh, financial hardship, so many different things. And uh, we know today that the last thing you want to hear in this episode is more third-rate information about what's happening in the world. So we wanted to offer up a different spin today. Uh, We wanted to reflect on other times in our lives, times of hardship, when fly fishing provided grace and hope and even a distraction from the hardship of life. One of my favorite memories is from probably about 10 years ago, and it was when you and I went two times to Montana <laughs> to fly fish. And responsible, huh? <laughs> yeah, we were totally irresponsible. And you were living here in the Chicago area where I am currently living. How did I afford two trips to Montana. Do you remember that trip? Well, those day, not yeah. that trip, but those two trips? Yeah, I think it's because, at least for me, it seems like the effects of the recession happened later in the year. You know, we had, we had purchased tickets already. So, yeah, it, it wasn't like uh, we were just totally irresponsible, even though we're in this recession. It was, I think we had probably booked these, and this was happening just about the time it hit. So, Probably the the adjustment we made was not doing anything. Well, we we did take one trip in 2009, but wasn't it a fall trip? We, we didn't go in the spring. Yes, I think it was a fall trip. When did we do the year we did two trips? What year was that? I mean, that was 2008. I think that's the that only was. year. That's the yeah. only year we did two trips, right? I think it was. Although mm. you know, it's so hard to remember. It, yeah. I thought we may have done two trips, but uh, anyway, that yeah. one trip in 2008. Uh, we, yeah, we definitely did two that year. It's just I, I I don't know if we we continued that. I the great memory from that trip. I think we caught a double. Uh, we were fishing the Madison. Yeah. And and it was those. There was a few years in there where we did go in the spring. And yeah. I don't know how many years we did that, maybe two or three. And mm-hmm. that was at least one of the years where the fishing was so, so good. It was and spectacular, I think yeah. It was. And I remember 
the snow. I remember the cold. I remember thinking, I'm standing in the middle of the Madison River in the Bear Trap, the wind coming around that canyon and having to pause to cast because the wind was so strong mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, to cast between the gusts. And and I remember thinking maybe we should quit, but then all of a sudden you'd catch a big one and then, you know, yeah. you'd wait a while and all of a sudden I'd catch a business <laughs> big one. And then yeah. there's that window of time where we just almost every other cast, every third cast, we at least would have a strike. I'm not sure we would pull it in. But those days just are etched on my mind as really some of the best days of my life. Yeah, they were were great, weren't they? And that was while the stock market dropped. And, boy, the impact hit your business hard, didn't it? It did. And uh, for me, it didn't really, really hit until the end of 2010, Okay. And we had a really, really big client. And, you know, companies like mine are always vulnerable when you have big clients. And I hit, um, I hit, uh, hit the wall and, and we had other clients which enabled me to continue the business. But, um, you know, those were really hard times. I remember all the anxiety that I had about it. And, and I went into depression and there were some really, really dark days. I remember one trip. I uh, went to North Dakota to pick up a small car that I had purchased. I had sold my uh, Honda Pilot, so I was trying to scale down mm-hmm. and lower our expenses. And it was just, it was really stunning. And, um, and and I remember my dad talking to me. My dad was a great comfort during that time. Mm-hmm. And it was so odd. Here's the odd thing. When I was in North Dakota, that was during the peak of the oil boom. So everybody there was buying F-150 trucks. They were pulling boats. And and really, North Dakota was not hit by the Great Recession. In fact, my dad's properties went up during that time. His house went up during that time, whereas here in, I think, Chicago, I think at one point it was, what, 35% are are, uh, the values. Mm -hmm. So there's no doubt that what's happening today in this moment will devastate my business and it will change my life. And uh, as we sit here today, I don't have any, uh, I have no illusions about what the future holds, but I have to tell you, I don't have the same, same kind of anxiety that I did then. And mostly because I think now I'm willing to give it up. I realize what's happening Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm just really forward looking you know, I, I wasn't that same way in 2010 or 2011, and I'm not sure why that is. Certainly because I was younger, right? I had a whole younger family. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, you know, just reflecting on that time, thinking about 2008. You're right; it was 2008. Thinking about um, that we continue to fish once a year through that window of time, and mm-hmm. and how fly fishing was really so life giving, even in the yeah. midst of really really difficult years. Yeah, fly fishing really is a it's a great coping mechanism. It's a wonderful diversion. Though I, I want to clarify, you know, as people of faith, we hold on to promises like uh, Psalms 46, 1 and 2 from the Bible. God is our refuge and strength and an ever-present help in trouble. Uh, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Uh, basically saying, you know, when all hell breaks loose, when... You know, when you get the slats kicked out from under you, and so yeah, we're not we're not saying that uh, that fly fishing is is the ultimate answer, but we're saying it it is a it is a gift that 
that helps us. I, I mean, I remember Dave, uh, the, the spring after my, you know, my dad died, he died in, uh, uh, August of 2002. And, and I, I'm sure I fished that fall, but I don't remember a lot about it. In fact, probably, maybe I didn't fish that much because I, I hunted and, but I remember next, the following spring in 2003. And, and that's when, uh, that's when I actually discovered that rainbow run that we've uh, uh, had so many productive days on the, the Madison and the bear trap. And I know I've told that story before, but that was, uh, I, I think maybe revisiting that from the angle of that was a very, uh, that was a very healing thing for me to do, to get out and, and you know, sometimes have a, having a parallel challenge. We, we've talked about that in terms of how it helps our, our uh, what maybe our work, but I think that also helps helps us emotionally as well. That we have something else to do. So I, I remember it was it was March 31st. I know I've never forgotten that. Maybe because it was well, it was such a phenomenal day. But it was it was 60 degrees, and I I had something that morning uh, to do. I usually took Mondays as a day off, and. You know, my wife worked in at the school, and my kids were going to school, so I had something to do, and I thought I'm going to fly fish, you know, this afternoon. So I I took off, and uh, you know, true to form, Dave, I remember I ate lunch at a favorite Mexican restaurant. I mean, that's that's just part of our fishing life, right? Absolutely. Oh, man, what so else I, is there but that? I know. So I, I had a good uh, lunch at a Mexican restaurant, and I drove south. Uh, of Belgrade. We lived north of Belgrade at the time. Um, Belgrade is a town, for those of you who don't know the geography, it's it's not far from Bozeman. So I'm driving south, and I intended to fish the Gallatin River. And I, I, you know, I won't go into all the details. I've talked about it before. But essentially, all the places I stopped where I typically would fish, there were a lot of cars. And so I thought, yeah, forget this. I'm just going to drive home. And I got to, I got to what what's called Four Corners. In fact, Fins and Feathers Fly Shop is there now. It wasn't located there at, at the time. And I, I kind of had this thought of maybe I should, instead of going s- straight north, heading home, maybe I should turn left, head west, and go out to the Madison. And, and I hadn't been out there for a long time. And I thought, eh, no, nah, I don't know if I want to do that. It's, there's going to be a gazillion cars. And so I, I kept driving north. I pulled through the intersection and about 100 yards later, I thought, you know what, i got to go back and fish. So I, I turned around and uh, headed out to the Madison, and I was, I was kind of shocked. when Well, when I got out there, the first place you come to where you can see the river is, uh, oh, good night, what is it? It's terrible. I think it's Black's Ford. Yeah, that's the, that's the name of it, Black's Ford Fishing Access. And there were tons of, of uh, boats and uh, boat trailers i don't know so i kept driving what is it another four miles up the uh, up the highway and i came to the last uh fishing access on what's called the norris road where uh you you can access the madison just when it comes out of the bear trap and and uh, man there, there was nobody there i think there was one maybe one vehicle so i hiked up and you know i'm i'm fishing along and doing all right catching one here or there and and i lost my nymph and and it was the perfect storm because i came to this run and i kind of remembered it just as a 
is a place that had this nice run. I thought, I think I fished this once before. And I tied on an egg pattern, and I don't know, I had some sort of a dropper on it, and it was just one fish after another. This is probably, wow. by then it was maybe 2.30 or something, and I fished till, I mean, I, no, let's say it was 2. I fished from 2 to 5.30, so about three and a half hours, and I landed at 25. No rainbows. way. Yeah, and they were all, you know, they were all in that 14 to, 14 to 19, but most of them were six, 15, 16 inches. I, 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 yeah, I caught a few though, 17, 18. I, I think maybe one was 19 and just one after another, but I, it, it, you know, it was warm. The, the sun was, uh, you know, was uh, high in the sky and, and still that, that didn't matter. It was just a perfect day. And, and, you know, I, I was by myself, which I, I think at that moment was, was good. I, I just remember reflecting a lot about, you know, thinking about my dad and just the joy we had, uh, you know, outside. In fact, it was, it was soon enough after my dad's death. I mean, this is why is it eight, nine months that I, I a couple times that day, I thought I got to call my dad, you know, and then in that moment, I'm like, Oh, I, I can't call my dad. But I, I just remember, even though our thing was to hunt together, I just remember the joy of being outside and thinking, yeah, my dad would get a kick out of this. And so, you know, I, I think for me in that moment, it was it was a very healing, uh, very, very healing thing. Um, yeah, Dave, I'm curious, were there any times when you couldn't fish or you didn't feel like fishing because you were you were too distraught. You were too overwhelmed. Um, I mean, if you want to think about that, I, I do remember a time in in my in my life, maybe a couple times when that happened. There are times when you're in transition from jobs, you get laid off, where there's just financially, there's just no way you can, you know, take the time or money. Uh, you might have more time than you want, but take the yeah. money to go and exactly. fly fish. Yeah, and, exactly. and so um, I, I think that um, we look ahead here in the future, there might be many of our uh, listeners who are in that moment where they have to basically yeah. suspend uh, time on the river just to circle the wagons and take care of the home front. Mm-hmm. And, and there have been different times in my life where uh, I've been in that spot. But the one time I probably remember uh, suspending fishing and uh, really specifically was I was engaged to be married uh, in 1987. And mm-hmm. um, we broke up about three months before uh, the wedding. The wedding was in July. And and so I was in such a dark place for gosh uh probably a few months before we broke up to almost mm-hmm. a year later i mean this was a this, 1987 was you know the only thing i remember about that is that the twins minnesota twins won the world series well i remember that because they beat the cardinals <laughs> exactly four games to three you know what that's the year the home team won every game so, Is that course, right? Wow. Yeah. So, of course, being the immature person that I was in 1987, I, I kept mumbling, well, if the, if the Cardinals would have had home field advantage, they would have won. <laughs> 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 Probably. 
we probably didn't we probably didn't talk too much during that time because I was too depressed from the Cardinals losing the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, you know, I um I so I remember just the paralysis of that year and and the, just the inability to have any joy mm-hmm. in life, especially the second half of the year. And literally when the twins won, believe it or not, the one memory I have well, I have a bunch of memories of that fall when they won, but the one I remember is I so shortly thereafter <laughs> I started dating this girl um mm-hmm. from Minot and she was actually Minot, North Dakota. In fact she lived uh, actually just west of Minot in a small town. And and I started dating her, and I got connected to her through a friend. And mm-hmm. I remember driving back from one of our dates, driving from Minot to Bismarck, which is about 100, 110 miles, and and listening to the twins all the way back. Oh, and wow. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, sports being a distraction, which is, of course, very difficult right now because yeah. there is no sports to distract us, right? <laughs> But I remember just the paralysis of that year, the in- inability to find joy, the inability to feel like I had a future, and that yeah. killed almost every part of my life. Yeah. And yeah. and so obviously I didn't fish hardly at all, and uh, I was in North Dakota at the time, so I had, was in Colorado when I broke up with with this woman, and and then I moved to North Dakota, and so. Uh, it was a stretch of life where I probably needed to get out more. It wasn't a financial yeah. reason. Yeah. At that mm-hmm. point, it was just simply paralysis. Yeah. Well, I, I've had that, too. I remember in, uh, uh, well, I, I won't even identify the year. I'm, I'm going to keep this vague because, you know, there, there's personalities involved and, you know, people that, uh, you know, I, I still love and, and respect, but I went through a really difficult uh, stretch, and you know, as as a pastor, and and you know, some people that I really uh, relied on. Uh, yeah, I'll just say they they turned against me. I don't want to over dramatize that, but uh, you know, their their opinion of uh, of me and of of how I was leading was uh, uh, well, let, let's just say it wasn't very positive and. I, I found that pretty devastating, and I remember there were times where I, you know, I had to, well, one of two things, a couple times I just forced myself to get out and fish, and that was helpful, but there were a couple times, too, where I I felt like I I, I just, my heart's not even in this, and and I, I do think, though, as I look back, that that the times when I forced myself to get out were, uh, were good, you know, it was not like they were uh, just, Oh man, now I'm refreshed and I'm, but, but it was, it, it was helpful. There, there was at least a moment of, uh, of distraction because we, we've said that before when you're, you know, when you're going after fish and, and you're, you know, you're paying attention, it's kind of like you, you focus on that and everything else gets pushed to the periphery of your mind. And, and so that, that was good, but, but I, I, I guess I, I ask that question and I say that because we're not trying to be simplistic. And, uh, you know, we, we realize there are times when it's it maybe feels too painful to get out and fish. But but over the long haul, it's helpful. You know, here's something else, Dave, that I, I've thought of. Uh, sometimes fly fishing can be even be the context for, for sharing tough news. And I don't know if you have any 
any stories like that. But I remember a mutual friend of ours whose name was Dave. Uh, he was a he was a very close friend of mine in the the, the, the Gallatin Valley, and we. In fact, he was a pastor. We were both pastors. We met in an emergency room uh, when uh, a woman in uh, my congregation I pastored had accidentally been uh, been shot, uh, and the you know, her her parents were in his congregation, and, and she died uh, in the emergency room while we were there with the family. And so, wow, that was that was the beginning of a relationship. But we. We discovered on the way to the, the graveside service that we we both like to fly fish, and we said, "Hey, let's let's get out and do this." Well, that was the beginning of a of a friendship that that uh, you know for seven years we enjoyed that in you know in the, the Gallatin Valley in Montana, and then Dave uh, took a uh, took an opportunity uh, in in Cincinnati uh, of, of all places. Uh, uh, you know, a guy who was uh, born and reared in the West and loved the West, and but moved to Cincinnati. So his the, he he told me when we were out fishing, he called me up, and said, "Hey, you want to go fishing today?" I said, "Sure." And this was this was early spring. I think it was a March day, and it was kind of cool. And we drove down to the Gallatin, and we're in his VW van again, and and, and uh, yeah, we fished a little while, and then we're we're driving from one stretch of the Gallatin to another and he says, Hey, one of the reasons I wanted to fish with you today is I, I want to share something with you and, and he told me that he was moving and that was uh yeah that was tough. That was tough. But I, I do think there was something helpful uh about that to to get that news in a in a context uh you know something that we both enjoyed. So I don't know, maybe maybe that's another category as we think about the the hope that that uh, fly fishing can bring to us when we're in hardship. Maybe you can also provide a context for, yeah, sharing tough news. The thought that that triggered uh, was is a corollary to that. It's not a direct connection, but our topic, actually the title of our podcast today is about the hope of waiting. And I think anytime you're in a stretch of hardship uh, or suffering is what some people would call it, or yeah. really, really difficult times. Again, whether it's our current situation, um, and you're locked in that moment, and there is you have no idea how you're going to get out of that moment because that moment, the data for that moment has not been created yet, right? There's right. no history yet. Yeah. And and as we as I think about some past times in my life, uh, I look back on when I first started my business. I remember those first couple of years wondering if I survived and then you survive it. Yeah. 9-11 happened. And then, um, but I think it's about, I think one of the really good and holy things, I don't know if that should I even use that word really good and right yeah. things to do. Yeah. If you can, if you can is, is to, is to fish during a time like this. And I don't yeah. think you should feel guilty. Obviously you got to yeah. consider your family and all those things. Right. But it helps with the waiting, and in a sense, it's an act of of it's like you're planting a flag that the world's going to go on, and there will come a time in the future when it won't be as it is right now. Absolutely. And yeah. I think there's something about discipline, and even though we talk about you know the healing and distraction, but there's something about 
I mean, can we say the discipline of fly fishing yes. that yeah. plants a flag and says this too shall pass? Yep, absolutely. And, and it doesn't mean that it's going to get brighter starting right now. It just means that we know that some things will pass, and in the future there will be a time in which whatever is like like filling our head with noise, yeah. that will be lifted. Yeah. And I, I think we do have to hold on to that hope and the hope of waiting, right. right? And I think right. fly fishing allows us to yeah. wait. Yep. So let me ask you this, Dave. If we're not, and you and I are in this boat right now, no pun intended, we're we're in this drift boat right now. Uh, <laughs> we're, yeah, we're not close to, uh, uh, I mean, we're we're three hours away from fly fishing. And, and right now, given the current reality, uh, sheltering in place may not allow us to, to get out. So what are some things that we can do in, in terms of fly fishing that might help us through the moment? Well, doing this podcast helps. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It, I mean, yeah, there's really, a great joy. Just It really okay. does for you and me, and, and we, we hope that, that our listeners will, will kind of resonate with that and find that helpful too. So, yeah. Yeah, I, read, I, I probably, read our book. Read our book again. The fly yeah, fishing buy, book. Of buy it. ninety <laughs> copies, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> no, don't do that. Save your money. Yes. I, I think it's things like you know. For me, one of the things I really need to improve on. I mean, I'm even thinking about improvement in the midst of this darkness, right? I'm thinking about the last time I was fly fishing with you. Yeah. And I had a uh, a nymph rig on. And I had a strike indicator with a, I think I was dropping a, I don't know, forget what I was, I had two, I had two flies on mm-hmm. and I was just so bummed about how I was casting. And I was thinking, <laughs> really? I, yeah. After all these years, and so I was working on my double haul, which I'm mm-hmm. great at. And, but it, even in this moment, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I can, work on it right now i was planning this spring actually go out to the uh high school uh track or the uh football field and and work on it but looking you know right now you know it's it's going back there's some videos uh that winston has on their site Mm -hmm. and you know watching the double hall watching you know where the arm is going back to some of those basics so for me it's it's actually even in this moment you know instead of just streaming netflix uh, you can you know watch the Brad Pitt movie. I don't know if it's on, you know, a river yeah, through it. I don't know if it's on Netflix. I think you have to buy it on Amazon Prime. But yeah, uh, but it's also looking at stuff of ways to improve. You know, if you can't be out there, then yeah, watch videos. Try to you know do That's something right. other than Netflix, right? Yeah, tie some flies. Um, you, you said you created a new mantra, and I, I thought this was brilliant. I'm going to use this. Tell, yeah, share your new mantra. Well, my so my new mantra is social media distancing. I love it. I love it. And, you know, of course, Twitter is just the worst. So yes. I have to do that because I'm in the process yes. of trying to stand up a new business, even in the That's midst right. of this right now, because uh, I know what's going to happen uh, for me over the next uh, six months. And so... Yep. I wake up every day and I am almost paralyzed. And then I think, okay, um, I have to go to work. I have to get things done. This ha- yeah. this could be the most creative time of my life if I let it. Yeah, exactly. And, and the one of the things I've had to do is, you know, the social media distancing because I just simply can't 
yeah. and news distancing, right? Yes, you can yeah. maybe spend no more than five minutes a day getting updated. You just don't need an hour-by-hour count. Man, I agree. What's going on right now? I'm, I'm doing the same thing, yep. I know. If I scroll through Twitter because I, I use that to get news and kind of updates in some of the fields that I work in, but Boy, if there's anything related to the current crisis, I just I, I scroll through 98 percent of that. I, I know the voices I want to listen to, and I'll I'll listen to well, maybe an article. Yeah, not even an article a day. Maybe a news article a day. Okay, what what's going on here? But yeah, that, that can just be consuming. You know, Dave, that reminds me. I just read a, a great story this week in Hatch Magazine about. Jack Hemingway, Ernest Hemingway's son, that I think is related to this. So back in World War II, he was uh, he was an OSS officer, and he had parachuted into France, occupied France, to work with the French resistance. And he, he couldn't bear the thought of leaving his fly fishing gear behind. So get this. In addition to his weapon, he actually jumped – uh, into the night sky with his fly rod, a reel, and a box of flies. I mean, isn't that great? That is yeah. so awesome. Yeah. Well, while he was in France, he he apparently wore civilian khakis, but he did have a small U.S. flag sewn on his right shoulder. Well, one day he came across a quick-moving stream, and he decided to break out his fly fishing gear. And then uh, this is a, this is a quote from what happened next, and and this is from his book. Uh, misadventures of a fly fisherman. So here's here's what uh, Hemingway said. He said, I had become totally concentrated on thoroughly covering the last few yards of possible holding water. Hey, by the way, Dave, I just have to stop and say, uh, I don't know that his dad would have liked that. You know, his dad was so lean on his adverbs and adjectives. I had become totally concentrated on thoroughly covering Okay, sorry, I couldn't resist that. Anyway, covering the last few yards of possible holding water, when I heard a most unwelcome and frightening sound, that of marching boots close by. With the sound of the stream through the nearby riffles, I had been caught completely unaware. I looked up, and marching at route step with rifles and machine pistols at arm slings was a patrol in German uniform. They were all looking toward me and making what sounded like derisive, joking comments as they went along. For the first time in my life, I made a silent wish that came as close to a real prayer as I had ever come. Above all, I wished not to hook a fish at that moment. If I had, the whole patrol would have halted to watch. Then there would have been a conversation, and if I had turned to any degree, the U.S. flag would have been visible. The powers above were with me. I hooked nothing, and the Germans kept marching down the track. What a story. Oh, oh man. I know it. Wow. What a story. Well, you know, I, I laughed at the at the phrase, uh, for the first time in my life, I made a silent wish that came as close to a real prayer as I had ever come yeah, uh, I chuckled at that. You know, Hemingway was no person of faith. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> although on some level, I have to tell you, I feel felt a little sad for him. You know, not sure yeah. how I would think about my life in this moment uh, if there was not like a center of gravity, right? A sense of presence in my life that is not me, right? right. Something larger than me. And um, but 
I love that. I love, I just love that Hemingway put his fly fishing rod on his back as he's dropping into France. I mean, is that not, that is just, it's such a symbol of hope to me. I know it really is. It really is. Wow. So let me ask you this, Dave. So what are, what are you looking forward to once these days are passed in terms of fly fishing? So I am looking forward to being able to be on the river and, and, and have the suspension of all thoughts. And right now there's so many fear-based thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. And just have that not there. So if, if, if only for a while, right? Um, yeah. With the single focus of trying to hit a spot on the river, um, to, you know, to get that back cast out of the, you know, the branch, yeah. to, you know, be frustrated because I just lost, snapped off my, my bottom fly again. Yeah, I mean, that kind right. of, just to feel that frustration. Because yeah, we need a lesser problem. We need a lesser frustration. <laughs> yes, we do. So I'm really looking forward to that moment and it won't just come I think with the passing of the current crisis because there is a long stretch ahead of that when we're Mm -hmm. over that when we're a little bit over the hump we've settled into the new changes and we can fish and you come off the river uh, you can go to dinner and you're not consumed with the present moment and I I actually am really looking forward to that yeah well, you said it better than I did. I mean, that, that's kind of my answer. It's just the freedom to wander along a stream, you know, stop for a good meal on the way back, and and making memories. I mean, that you know, the memories have been a great antidote to isolation. We've we've talked about those today, and I mean, you and I have both said we're not people who want to live in the past, and you know, I, I don't believe in the good old days. They're they're usually a combination of a good imagination and a bad memory, but. Uh, I'm thankful for the memories, and uh, that, that's that's something I look forward to, you know, creating uh, more memories, and probably will be saying, man, you remember when we were recording that podcast, and we had to do it over the phone from our offices, because, so, that'll be that'll be pretty cool. To me, the hope is 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 Hemingway <laughs> dropping into <laughs> dropping into uh, France yeah. with his fly fishing rod, That's along right. with his, you know whatever other gear he had dropping in there. To yeah. me, that is just simple, such a symbol of hope, and a, yeah. and also a symbol of hope in the waiting. Absolutely. So yeah, what we're saying is, hey, fly fishing can provide us with a measure of hope during the the present moment and the hardships of life, and. Uh, we pray for the best for you and your families as you navigate uh, these challenging days. Well, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Uh, here's an email we recently received from Josh, and he writes, Hey, Steve and Dave, I wanted to say thank you, especially, especially to Dave, for a tip on how to fish emergers by tying them onto a larger dry fly. I was able to utilize that technique to get over my winter slump. I've had a very slow winter when it comes to fly fishing for me. I had gone a few trips to my local fishery with no success, and for a fairly new fly fisher, it can be pretty discouraging. Actually, it can be pretty discouraging for a fairly old fly fisher. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Anyway, he says, I was fishing a pool yesterday, and to my delight, there were plenty of fish rising to the surface. I tied on a simple parachute pattern and got to work. To my dismay, I only got a few bites, none of which resulted in a hooked fish. 
I then looked down in the water and saw that they were feeding on some tiny betas on the surface. Then I thought of Dave's tip on how to fish emergers, and I knew exactly what to do. I tied on the closest pattern I had in my fly box and started casting again. I was amazed how easy it was to track my tiny emerger with the larger fly guiding my eyes. Within a few casts, I hooked a fish and landed my personal best trout about 16 to 18 inches long. Thanks for your tip and the great podcast. (laughs) That is so awesome. That's really cool. That's really cool. And that's why we, we love doing this, don't we? Fishing those emergers when nothing, when you, everything you're, you're tossing is not working, yep. they're rising, but they're not mm-hmm. hitting whatever it is you've got on the mm-hmm. surface. Man, those emergers often are gold. Yeah, they really are, really are. Well, I think that'll do it for today. We'd like to thank you again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. <laughs>